back several years ago, I was talking to somebody, a young man in, in our kitchen, and I was saying, you know, something about the scripture here and the Bible there, and, and he said something to me, very respectful. No, there was no, you know, anger or hatred in what he was saying. He just said, I just want you to know, I, I, I don't really believe the Bible. I said, oh, I said, uh, why is that? And he told me something I'd never heard before. Never heard this reason for not believing the Bible before. Never heard this reason for not believing the Bible since. I said, why is it that you don't believe in the Bible or trust the Bible? He said, well, because it doesn't talk about dinosaurs. I said, okay. Now, I want to remind you, this is not a five-year-old. So I know all five-year-olds love dinosaurs. This was a, a young adult man who, who was just saying very kindly, I just don't believe in the Bible. And I said, interesting. And so remember how Jesus, we saw last week, Jesus said that a good person draws up out of the good that is stored up in them. And so I was thinking about that, and it came across my mind. I had this Bible. This is my Bible through my teenage years. I, I wore the, well, into my early adulthood. Uh, and there's, a, there's amazing Bible studies in this one. And it had a, a Bible study titled, The Bible, God's Word. And that was stored up in me, what I'd studied. And I didn't remember it word for word, but I remembered enough to talk to him about that. I said, well, there's something interesting about the Bible. Uh, you may go to it and want to find philosophy. You will find philosophy in the Bible, but it's not a philosophical book. You may say, wow, I want to know about science. But if you go to the Bible and want a science textbook, you will not find that in the Bible, although the Bible does not disagree with any good science. You may go and say, hey, I want, I want the Bible to be a history book. It has wonderful, accurate, amazing history in it, but it was not designed to be a history book. I said, the Bible also is not designed to give us all the ins and outs about the dinosaur world. I said, what the Bible is, from center to circumference, is a book to point us to Jesus. That's what it is. It's a book to point us to the Savior. From Genesis to Revelation, it's a book designed to point us to a Savior and obviously our need for a Savior. So if you look for it to be anything else, you'll, you'll be disappointed in that. And that seemed to resonate with him. He thought, I never thought about that before. That, that It really isn't a book designed to cover every single thing in the world. It's designed to lead us to Jesus. That's the beautiful, beautiful message of the Bible is that we need a Savior. So I did tell him this. I said, but I would challenge you to read a couple things. In Job chapter 40 and Job chapter 41. By the way, don't make fun of anybody who calls that book Job because it's spelled J-O-B. Now, how else have you ever said J-O-B in your life other than Job, but it's actually the book of Job? It's in Job 40 and Job 41, God describes these creatures. One is a behemoth, which is massive. And we even use that term today. We say, wow, this is a behemoth of a problem. We mean it's huge, it's big, it's, it's phenomenal. Well, and 41 talks about this crazy creature. You can read God describing it. And by the way, God said, these are creatures that I made alongside you, Job. So Job was familiar with these creatures, called a Leviathan. Well, it's interesting because our modern commentators said, well, the behemoth is a hippopotamus. And I just want to ask these Bible commentators, did you actually read the description of this behemoth? It has a tail that swooshes like a cedar tree. I don't know if you've ever seen a hippopotamus tail, but I don't even think it would be the size of a garden herb, let, let alone a, a cedar tree. 
And this Leviathan is this beast that strikes fear in the heart of anyone who sees it. And it says, a sword cannot pierce it, a javelin cannot pierce it, a harpoon cannot pierce it, a hook cannot pierce it. Nothing can pierce this thing. So they said it was a crocodile. Modern commentators say it's not like we've killed crocodiles and alligators all the time. So it's obviously not that. Well, that's not my message today about the behemoth and Leviathan, but I thought it was kind of interesting if you want to read about that. But the purpose of God's word, that's what we want to talk about today. What is the purpose of God's word? The main purpose, again, is to reveal Jesus. Jesus is the God of creation. He is the creator of you, and he is the creator of me. Now, back a few years ago, there was this ruckus that came up over a book written by Rick Warren, and it was called The Purpose Driven Life. And so, I don't know and who people I'm, you know, connected to, subscribed to. I start getting all these, you know, these vile comments about Rick Warren and the purpose-driven life and how scandalous it is and how awful it is. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. I thought, I got the book. I've never read it, but I have it on the shelf. And so I thought, I'll just go read what this horrible book is about. And so I looked it up, and the first chapter, here's a little mini version of one of the chapters. The first chapter of the purpose-driven life it's titled this, It All Starts With God. I thought, well, that don't sound real evil. And then the opening title of the first chapter, the first line is, It's Not About You. Now, I can understand if you didn't love God that those might offend you, but these are Christian people writing this. It says, The purpose of your life is greater than your own personal fulfillment, greater than your peace of mind, greater than even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God, for you were born by his purpose and for his purpose. I went on and read the whole book and found it rather enjoyable. Now, when I go to the Word of God, I want us to think about that. It first starts with God. The scriptures start with God. And the second thing is, it's not about you and it's not about me. Pastor Warren goes on in that book to say, when you look for the reason, the purpose for your existence, don't look to yourself because you did not create you. When somebody crafts something and creates it, if you really want to know its purpose, guess what? You'll go to the creator. And you'll say, what is that? Why is that? What's the purpose for it? And so when you and I say, what's the purpose for my life? We should go to Jesus, our creator. We should say he's the one who understands and knows what we are created for. So, the same way with the Word of God. So we go to the Word of God, it all starts with God, and it's not about you, and it's not about me. Now, without fear of contradiction, I believe, now this is this would probably be a negative thing for some people, but I, when you listen to the end, you'll know it's not. I believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is the greatest self-help book that you can ever read, study, and don't miss this, and apply to your life. Because if I want to help me out, this book will lead me to Jesus, lead me to abundant life, and lead me to eternal life. I can't think of anything better I could have than abundant life and eternal life in Jesus. So I believe it's a wonderful self-help book for going after God. But that's from a Christian point of view and from a lover of Jesus' point of view. If you're not a Christian, don't love Jesus, don't want him to get in your way. I know there's people in the world that say, hey, I want to do life on my own terms, the way I want to do it, and I don't want anybody to tell me how to live it, then it's an awful, 
horrible self-help book because the first thing it will want to do is put to death yourself. And I don't mean physically, but spiritually. That we have an old nature, an old self, that Jesus is very passionate about killing. When we just did baptism there, we said over Jessica, you are buried with him in baptism. You just died to your old self. And you are raised to newness of life. A new creation. So if you'd want to do life on your own terms without God, then this, you don't read the Bible because it'll point you towards dying to self and coming alive to Jesus. It wants to kill that earthly godless side of us. Now, when I say godless, for some reason, the word, it, it invokes um, evil to say somebody's godless. But you know what it really means? What it is godless, less of God, without God. You meet all kinds of nice, friendly people every day who are godless. They don't have God. But God doesn't want you to be godless. He wants you to be God more. He wants more of him in you, more of him in your life. He wants you to embrace and know him. And when you do that, you'll become a new creation, a new creature. The old will be gone, the new will come, and you'll find this joy in living and loving the life of Jesus in you. So let's remember that. God's word's about revealing Jesus for, for changing our lives. God wants to open up our minds, open up our hearts to the principles of God's word. So the primary purpose of God's word is not about getting you that promotion at work. It's not about teaching you how to get along with your cranky family members. It's not about all kinds of stuff. Its primary purpose is about Jesus. Now, as we yield our lives to Jesus, maybe that will help you get a promotion at work. I don't know. I can tell you this. There are some places around planet Earth where there are incredibly educated, capable people who can't do anything but the most menial jobs because the culture they live in and the countries they live in have rejected them because of their testimony of Jesus. So I cannot always promise you that you're going to get a promotion in this world, but I will promise you a promotion in Jesus. I will promise you some rewards in heaven when we go after God. So the Bible wants to peel off layers and make us sensitive to the teachings of Scripture as the Holy Spirit reveals them so we can change and be more Christ-centered. In Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it says, For the word of God is alive and active. I want you to know that the word of God is alive and active. The word's often correlated with Jesus. We know Jesus is alive and active. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. You know, a lot of times we think soul and spirit's the same thing, but the Bible actually divides them. And in fairness, sometimes, honestly, the Bible interchanges soul and spirit, so it can get confusing. But your soul and spirit are so closely combined that it takes the laser razor edge of the Spirit of God to separate even soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And I want you to listen to this, these verses because it's starting to amp up in intensity. So listen to what it's saying here. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Ah. <sighs> Okay, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
That's pretty heavy. You, you hear that, and it kind of reminds me, uh, King's Island, there's a little, I suppose it's still there, a little roller coaster that goes like into a cave, and I think it's kind of done after Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of stuff. And, and uh, when our kids were little, Mitch said, I, I don't like that one point. There's one point where you hit that thing and you start going up a hill and there's like this monstrous looking thing or this cave-like creature saying, you will pay. Does anybody remember that? Adventure Express, I think is what it's called. You will pay. And he is like, uh. <laughs> he probably had a guilty conscience. So, you will pay. We read these verses, and we think the next line will be, you will pay. Nothing's hidden in his sight. Your thoughts and attitudes and ideas and the innermost being is like naked and bare before God. You're going to have to give an account before him. And it really sounds like, wow, this is kind of harsh. But I encourage you this week to read on. Because you think it's going to amp up in harshness, but it goes on to say, wow. But we have a high priest. Oh, we have Jesus. And he's not a high priest who cannot empathize, empathize with our weaknesses. But rather, he was tempted in every way just like we are. So I urge you, come before his throne with confidence that you might find grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. <sighs> we got such a great God. We got such an awesome God. He would be justified in saying, you will pay. <laughs> but instead he says, I've given you Jesus. He's an intercessor. He's an advocate for you. you. Because of him, you can step before my throne in confidence and find grace and mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is trusting and believing you won't get what you deserve. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what you deserve. And that's what God releases for us. So, you and I stand before God naked, nothing hidden, our inner being exposed. Even the thoughts and attitudes of our heart are laid bare before him, everything. And guess what? He still loves you. He still loves me. That's something to praise God for and rejoice in. So we take God's word, and God takes his word, and he goes to work on our inner being. He, he wants you and I to become light. We are to be light in a dark world. I was spelunking one time, caving with a group in his Christian group, and we got back to this place, and if you've ever, just show of hands, how, how many of you have been caving or spelunking? Raise that hand up high. Okay. You get back in a cave, and it's dark beyond dark. I remember being back in there, and I thought of the saying, it was so dark I could not see my hand in front of my face. You ever heard that saying? And so I put my hand right here, and I went, oh my goodness, it's so dark I cannot see my hand in front of my face. It was dark, dark, dark. And so one of the leaders taught about being the light of the world and had a little watch on with a little light and pushed that little light, and it was amazing how much light that little watch brought to outer darkness. And then he did something crazy. He had what we used to call pin lights, little lights with like a AAA, one AAA battery in it. When he hit that thing, it was like illuminating like crazy. See, you may think your light's not that much, but if you'll let it shine, it's shining in a dark, dark world. 
And you're this little light of mine. Remember that? This, that little light of yours actually will be much brighter and much more illuminating than you think. Hmm. Then he says he wants us to be salt. Salt gives flavor to stuff. I mean, you ask Darlene, anytime she makes something, I taste it, and usually I say, she say, what do you think I need? More salt. You know, I was like, more salt, more salt. Salt makes things taste great. You and I are supposed to be salt in this hurting, bland world. We're supposed to be light in the darkness. And so as God goes to work on our lives, he reshapes us, and we start being salt and start being light in the world that we live in. So we look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. God exhaled the scripture. And the scripture is useful. It's useful for teaching. We like that. It's useful for rebuking. We all love to be rebuked. It's, uh, it's good for correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, if, if you're someone that's given your life to Jesus, you're, you qualify as a servant of God. So the servant of God may be thoroughly, completely equipped for every good work. Mm, hallelujah. I also believe that as we begin to let the word of God get in us, that his word begins to correct and instruct and rebuke and, and all those things. And, and we ought to just say, okay, Lord. That's much easier and better to just be rebuked by the Lord. Like right now, honestly, there may be a teaching that happens somewhere in the message today, or maybe it happened early in the service or in a song or whatever, that the Holy Spirit kind of rebuked or corrected your heart, and you can just go, oh, okay, yes, yes. Which is so much more pleasant than somebody calling you out. I don't know if you've ever been called out by somebody. It's like, yeah, let's let the Lord do it. So let's let the Lord do that work in our hearts so we may be thoroughly equipped. So what we put in our mind, what we put in our hearts, what we allow into our lives begins to shape us. And it stores up inside there. And we want to store good things in there so that in situations in life, we can let the good come up when, this, when the situation comes. Back a week or so ago, I was going on a motorcycle ride. And I told Darlene, I said, I'm going to take a little ride. So that's fine. We've been talking about it. So I uh, said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ride like the wind. Well, Ride Like the Wind, there's no Christopher Cross song called Ride Like the Wind. Even if you're young, you probably heard it because it plays in restaurants and places like that. And so I get out the YouTube and kick on Ride Like the Wind, which it's not a vile, awful song, but the, really the, I never paid attention to what the words were, but basically it's I don't want anybody telling me what to do, and so I'm going to cross over into Mexico. I guess in Mexico you get to do whatever you want to do according to this song, so you're going to cross over. And so I'm out riding, and I'm going... And I got such a long way to go to get me to the border of Mexico. I'm going to ride like the wind, ride like the wind. Da, 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 da. And I'm going, get that song out of my head. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, I thought, I got to get that out of my head. So I, I replaced it, and it actually replaced quickly with some kind of worship song to think about and meditate on. Now, I want you to know this. I don't believe that I would have come back if I would have sang that song, which all I really knew was the chorus and the hook line, if I would have sang that song on my entire motorcycle ride, I don't believe I would have came back lost. I don't believe I would have came back saying, I just, I just want to go be a criminal, honey. You know, I want to, I want to join the mafia or something, you know. No, that wouldn't have happened. I get that. But 
one point, Paul says this, Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he said, he said, everything is permissible for me. And now we know he didn't mean sin and I can go murder and lie and cheat and all that. He said, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is profitable. I think it would have been permissible for me to sing Ride Like the Wind, but I thought it would be more profitable if I just sing something, you know, spiritual and uplifting. I'd rather sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine than to sing, i got a long way to go to get to the border of Mexico. Back several years ago, um, we were dining in a Chi-Chi's. Does anybody remember Chi-Chi's? I like Chi-Chi's. If Chi-Chi's still exists, it doesn't exist in this part of the world. Uh, and so there's always music playing in restaurants, and that particular day, they're playing Margaritaville. Well, as long with other stuff. So for the next three days, you know, that song's going on. I'm going, get that song out of my head. I said, I, I, I don't want to waste away in Margaritaville. I don't want to look for my long-lost shaker of salt. I, I want to... And boy, it took about three days for me to kick that out of my head. So I want to encourage you, just watch what goes into your head. Now again, you may say, well, I think that's a little extreme. Well, anything's permissible, but not everything's profitable. And uh, Margaritaville is not profitable. And if you find yourself going to Margaritaville, that's not profitable either. So anyway, so what we put in there is so important I've shared this with you many times. I'll probably share it many more times. I heard a motivational speaker say years ago, he said, five years from now, you will be like the people you hang with, the books you read, and the tapes you listen to, because we used to listen to cassette tapes. Well, I've modernized it and uh, updated it. First of all, I don't think it takes five years. I tell people, in six to 12 months from now, you will be like the people you hang with, the books you read or listen to on Audible, the screens, the smart devices you listen to, the podcasts you pump into your brain and into your heart, in, in, in six to 12 months, that will reshape your life. So be very careful what you're listening to. Be very careful what you're reading. Be very careful. Be very careful because you're storing up stuff inside you every time you do that. And many things we can do is permissible, but not everything is profitable. And I want to encourage us to do what is profitable. So here in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension. When somebody's pretentious, uh, I put in parentheses there, it's, it's self-important posturing. Self-important posturing. Posing. You've heard people say, you're such a poser. Well, I mean, no one's told you that, but you've heard that saying anyway. And this is what God's saying. We, we want to resist everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now here's a little mini assignment for you. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Look that up today, tomorrow, in the uh, Message Bible. The Message is a paraphrase. Uh, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. And I want to encourage you, just look that up. For me, oftentimes, it's too casual, but I want to say this. This is a Grand Slam home run. Several things I've read in the message, I say, boy, that's said so well. So look that up. That's, that's a little mini assignment. 
2 Corinthians 10, 5. You say, I don't have a message Bible. Get online. They're everywhere, okay? So get online, and you'll find a message Bible that you can tap into. So we need to get a grip on our minds and get a grip on our hearts. And how do we do that? We do that by submitting to the lordship of God's word, which is designed to point us to Jesus, which then is designed to change our lives. So remember, the Bible from the center to the outer edges is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's pointing us to Jesus. So our part is to cooperate with him. And as he's pointing us to Jesus and pointing us to his word, say, well, what, what's that mean? Well, it means that, that what's being revealed to us are Jesus' principles and his practices and his attitudes and his power and his eternal life and, and all of those things. He's revealing those things to us so we can grow and be everything God's called us to be. So here's a great Bible verse for you to give a big bear hug on. Are you ready for this? Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. Now, Chapter 12 is set up for 13, but 13 is really one I want you to get through. Let's throw that up here on the screen. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, here, here's what I want you to get. Verse 13, for God is working in you. For God is working in you. In fact, I'd like for us to say that, but I want us to say, God is working in me. I want us to say that all together. Can we say that? Let's say it together. God is working in me. One more time. God is working in me. Amen. We have this promise. Well, I don't feel like God's working in me. Well, again, the just don't live by feelings. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. And so we have faith in God's word that God is working in me. God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Amen to that. Because you and I have all got to a place where we went, ah, oh, I want to do what's right. Sometimes, I've told you before over the years, sometimes the prayers, you just start out with this, I want to want to. I mean, I know your word says this, I don't really want to do it, but I want to want to do it. So help me, Holy Spirit, help me, God. And then we have this promise, Philippians 2, 13, God is working in me. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The desire and the power to do what pleases him. So here's our focus for the week. I would like for you to think, even in our prayer time, I'd like for you to think, Lord, is, is there something that I know you've been putting on my heart that I need to lay aside? Or something you've put on my heart that I need to pick up? You know, kind of like I need to, I need to forsake a vice or add a virtue to my life? What is it? And then I want you to remember these things that we've talked about today as you focus in on that, that the Bible's purpose is to reveal Jesus and his principles. So, okay, God, you're going to reveal Jesus. You're going to reveal his principles. I'm trying to lay this aside or pick this up, so I'm trusting you. Then we must monitor who and what gets into our hearts and minds. Who are you letting get in your heart? Who are you letting get in your mind? There's a podcaster out there that's really sharp and says a lot of great things and has a gazillion followers. And, but I'm troubled by one thing. He doesn't know if there's a God or not. And again, that's not the theme of his podcast. He doesn't try to steal anybody's faith or crush it. But I'm saying to myself, 
And I wouldn't be afraid to listen to a podcast of his. If somebody said, hey, he's got a really good, you know, instructions on this particular thing. But I'm thinking, all creation cries out there's a creator. You read Romans 1, it says, we will stand before God without excuse, for all creation cries out there's a creator. The starry sky, the mighty ocean, you know, the mountaintops, the amber waves of grain, everything is just crying out there's a creator. I know a guy that was in a backslidden condition from God and had wandered from God and he was taking a pre-med class and they studied the eyeball. The eyeball is absolutely ingenious. It takes so much less faith for me to believe God created us than to me to believe that over billions of years we kind of turned into these incredible beings just through an evolutionary process. And so as they were studying the eye, he said, wow, there's a God, and I need to serve him. Just studying the eye. Why? Because all creation cries out, there's a creator. And so when somebody tells me, I can't even find God, I say, I don't want you to lead my life. Again, I'm not afraid to listen to podcasts. Are you with me? I just don't want that person to be a primary influence in my life who can't find God. So, we got to watch that. We must allow our desires and will, our will and our willpower to flow from God, not from ourselves. Now, that sounds like a real spiritual thing, but I think it's just as simple as saying, God, you know, I've tried a thousand times. By the way, I think there's something that God respects about that. I really mean that because we're in the good fight of faith. And sometimes you've gone out to battle, after battle, after battle, and you keep going out and you say, man, I feel like I come back beat up every time. Well, but you're going to battle. And even if you've been beat up a hundred times, you still strap on the sword and go out to battle again. I believe God respects that. And you can say, God, I need your help. I've been to battle many times. I need your help. I'm not, I'm not winning on my own. I need you, Holy Spirit, to help me. And I'm, I'm trusting that Philippians 2.13 is true, that you are working in me. You're giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases you and just to yield yourselves to Jesus. I want us to pray together. As we're praying, you can just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there something, one particular thing you want me to lay aside, one particular thing you want me to pick up? Don't pick 20. I know we all got 20. You pick 20, you won't do nothing. That's just the... You know, the old saying is you chase two rabbits, you won't catch either one. So you focus on one, ask the Holy Spirit, and then ask him to help you. So let's pray together.